Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we challenge entrepreneurs to create a SaaS unicorn by combining two randomly selected household appliances and a subscription service. <laughs> All right, not really, but I am your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. We use a proven process to create premium valuation, capital efficient growth, and freedom so that you build a business that you're proud of and create a life of impact that you absolutely love. Last week, I was at lunch with a few SaaS founders, and the conversation turned to the economy and investments. Essentially, the question was, you know, what are you investing in? Where are you putting your money for the best return or to get any return or to beat inflation right now? And I think it's really important to think about, especially given the way things are in the economy, inflation is robbing everyone. Interest rates continue to rise and uncertainty abounds. There's no shortage of uncertainty, that's for sure. And everyone needs a strategy. And there are certainly things that I'm doing. And for the most part, it was the same thing that I've been doing and winning at for you know the last 20 plus years. The specific vehicle isn't important for today. But the idea is. So try this one on for size and, and see how it fits. People ask Warren Buffett the same thing. And he's a brilliant investor. And he's also very, very consistent. When times are good, when times are tough, inflation, deflation, stagflation, his answer is the same. And that is invest in yourself. And, you know, I think that's fascinating. I mean, maybe the wisest investor who's ever lived, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, investing in yourself is the best thing you can do is what he says. Anything that improves your own talents. And he's talked about a key investment that he made in himself early on. And that was Dale Carnegie training years and years ago. And it, for him, it was learning how to speak, learning how to craft and deliver a compelling message and how that has served him uh, for years and years and years and really kind of made him who he is. Uh, because without that, you know, would he have been as articulate? Would he have had some of the investments? Would he have been able to to get, you know, different things going? Uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. But he, he credits that as a, a big part of his success, that investment in, in himself. And the reason that's more enlightening is Buffett has said, you know, who, whatever abilities you have can't be taken away from you. They can't actually be inflated away from you. So the best investment by far is anything that develops yourself. And it says, and it's not taxed at all. And that is absolutely brilliant and true at the same time. Years ago, I was making a boatload of money and investing, investing for the future and, and quite a bit. Uh, everything I bought went up. I exited a company and invested and everything I bought went up. I was an absolute investing genius, Midas touch, golden picks, Every single time, time after time after time, everything went up. All was good until it wasn't. And you probably already guessed that I wasn't nearly as gifted an investor as I thought I was. Thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions, gone. My portfolio was absolutely decimated. 
But because I was such a genius, I knew that it would come back if I just held on. All I needed to do was hold on because the market always goes up, right? So I just hold on. And so as prices dropped and significantly like in half, I bought more because now it needed to come back less to get back to even. And so I'm just chasing it. If I can just get back to even and, and then you become a cheerleader because then it falls in half again. And you're like, please come back, please come back. And it was absolutely brutal. I mean, losses that took me 10 years to write off. And I wasn't nearly the investing genius that I thought I was. So I made a few winning investments after that. The first one was about $10 and it was a book. And then about $5,000 and then about $10,000 invested in my financial education. I had degrees in, in all sorts of formal education, but very little financial or investment education. I knew enough to be dangerous. I mean, obviously, right? Yeah. So I worked with extremely smart people. I worked with tools, with software. I learned how to invest, how to trade. I learned options trading. I left commodities alone. I knew, knew not to mess with that. Uh, but developed rules, read charts, and followed timeless processes so that I could make money whether the market went up, then went down, and went sideways. Didn't really matter. No matter what the economy is doing, no matter what the market was doing, I knew how to read it. I knew how to make money. I had a strategy for that, and I had rules in place. Next thing I did is I spent another $5,000 and then $30,000 learning to invest in real estate. And that was a massive, massive investment for me. I, mean, I literally could have bought another three or $400,000 in real estate if I hadn't made that investment. And it was a real turning point for me financially. It was extremely hard. The spend itself was painful because it cost more than my, my car. I mean, it cost more than any car I'd ever bought. It was the most expensive thing that I'd bought other than my house. And some people looked at it from the outside and said, yeah, that is completely ridiculous. It's foolish. You know, you could go out on your own. You could learn this stuff on your own. And the thing was that those people didn't have any money. So... I made the investment. I did it. And I closed on my first three investment properties on the same day. Uh, no way I would have had the, the smarts or the, uh, you know, the, the, the strength to find those, to, uh, to close them all at the same time, to put the deals together uh, without that. And I actually had somebody with me, like really flew out here and spent uh, a couple of weeks with me. And we went out and looked at deals together and uh, we found three properties and closed on them on the, the same day. So that was, uh, it was a big, big investment. So really working with somebody that, that knew the market and, uh, and got me that education very, very quickly. And so here I am 20 plus years later and hundreds of deals later, financial education, real estate investing education, business M&A education, and lots of practical experience with it. And so looking back, I mean, I, I can't even count up how much I invested in all of that. Is it worth it? And my answer is 100% because no one can take that away from me. Knowledge and experience can't be inflated. It can't be taxed. It can't be confiscated. The absolute best investments that I've ever made have been in myself. And I think Buffett is right on with that. And to this day, I still do. Uh, the checks are, are even bigger now. But the value I get from the amazing people I learn from is absolutely off the charts. 
So think about that in your business and in your life. You know, what are you doing to invest in yourself? Maybe it's a $10 book. Maybe it is a course. Maybe it is, you know, financial education. Maybe it is working with mentors. You know, are you confident that you can do well, whether the economy goes up, down, or sideways over the next few years? Because we are definitely in for some turbulence. Uh, it'll go one of those directions for sure, up, down, sideways. But the thing is, it, it, it shouldn't matter. You should have a strategy to deal with that. And think about that. How can you make a strategic investment in yourself? It's just like Buffett says, and, and I completely agree, it's been my experience, is that kind of investment, it pays dividends for a lifetime. And nobody can take that. Today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group, the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to accelerate capital-efficient growth in their SaaS companies. Unlock your business potential by leveraging our time-tested SaaS growth toolkit, blueprints, and frameworks designed to help you scale ARR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries. Celebrate wins and overcome setbacks together. Prioritize strategic decisions and create profitable growth, premium valuation. Elevate your SaaS trajectory with Champion Leadership Group. Learn more at championleadership.com. Last time on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, I talked with Michael Bertoni, founder and CEO of Philly Tech, now SaaS Talent. Michael brought great insights on how to find, hire, incentivize, and keep top talent. Super important these days. And our founder was Richard Palaria a week ago today on Tuesday, co-founder of Kermit, a SaaS and analytics platform that delivers cost reduction and spend management for health systems in the high spend category of implantable medical devices. And Richard had great insights from a SaaS founder with years of experience leading companies from small to huge. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and queue them up, give them a listen. It is absolutely worth it. Well, our guest today is Michael Maximoff, co-founder and creator of Folderly, an all-in-one solution to fix email deliverability issues. You know, every day, millions of business emails never reach the inbox. Do yours? I know sometimes mine don't. Until Folderly. So Folderly makes sure that they do. So beginning his career in B2B sales and marketing, Michael grew into a founder just a few years later and built service companies and bootstrap SaaS companies to success. He's done this multiple times. He is also the co-founder and managing partner of Belkin's, the number one appointment setting agency. Welcome a guy who puts your companies in front of prospects, Michael Maximoff. Hey, Michael, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Jeff, thanks for having me. Well, love to hear a little bit about your background. How did you come up with the idea of Folderly? Um, that's um, that's an interesting story, to be honest. And I'm sure uh, um, every entrepreneur has an interesting story uh, of the upbringing, right? Um, essentially, I had a need. So me and my partner, Vlad, we've started this um, agency, uh, Balkans, back in 2016, 2017. And uh, we've been... Uh, you know, the agency was focusing on appointment setting, generating leads for, on the client's behalf, and we were using email as our main channel to generate leads. And uh, somewhere like mid-2017, um, I approached Vlad and said, Vlad, 
all our emails end up in spam. We cannot generate KPI, right? Like we cannot generate leads on, on for clients. Like what the hell? Should we close this up and go home? What's happening? And and we he said, hold on, Michael, let's figure that out. And back then, the the thing about like, hey, emails hitting spam folder or not being delivered wasn't was something new, right? Those uh, spam filters haven't been as sophisticated as they are right now. So. Let's start cracking the code, start kind of Googling and researching information. And, you know, and uh, he came back with me, he came back to me about three months after and he said, hey, Michael, listen, here's the mailbox. This is the result of the test. Uh, 50% of the emails went to spam. I've done another test yesterday, 100% go to inbox. I've done that. Show me. And then he showed me kind of what kind of manual, uh, you know, manipulations he did with and how he did it. And we say, cool, let's teach someone in the team to do that. And let's do that. So that's how we built this email capability team that was specializing on uh, recovering mailboxes and, 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 and putting uh, emails that we are sending on guys' behalf from spam to inbox. And we've started automating that process. And somewhere Two years after, we're like, oh, well, we can do a product of this, right? Because like, we, there are so many things that are automated and we haven't found any good product out there that does that, that can actually work. So we're like, oh, let's build the product. And back then, we already had an engineering team. So we started coding. And obviously, the most difficult thing about the product is there's no competitors out there. So you cannot actually see what others have done for you. So everything is like basically dark grounds, right? So you just go out there, you do R&D and you just like, so you can imagine like we've, uh, you know, the first dashboard that we've developed, uh, it took us 10 or 15 tries to actually get to the dashboard and we try kind of rethink our thought and redraw everything. Uh, so that's how we kind of ended up building Fatherly. And I'm, um, you know, very happy with the product because until now, there's no one out there that can do product like Fatherly. And although there are some other players that are out there, uh, uh, but yeah, so um, I'm happy that we've done that, but it's been hell of a ride. I mean, you know, we spent millions of dollars thousands of hours in, you know, drawing and, and sort of like, and, and doing all the things, but yeah. So you're really blazing the trail. I mean, this was something that, that hasn't existed and you're exactly right. Spam filters were not nearly as sophisticated then as they are now. So is that something you've been able to continue to iterate and, and keep people out of spam? Yeah. So, um, but back in 2017, um, spam was, every, was all about, uh, the right settings, uh, the right, uh, not to, to get blacklisted, uh, using some personalized content. And, uh, you know, although some of the emails can hit spam folder, but kind of just knowing this nuances and having the right testing software would, would, would do the job, right? Now the, these filters are as sophisticated as they analyze uh, the content. So they analyze actual messaging that you're sending. They analyze the sending patterns, how you're sending it, uh, when, what is the volume? Do you have any uh, extremes in terms of how you send per day? So if one day you send 100 and the next day you send 400, well, something is off there, right? So they can analyze all of these metrics. And because of that, they're, they, they become very, very sophisticated. But obviously, as all other technologies, we adapted and we've advanced our technologies. So we we learn how to work with all of these nuances and continue working with them. But because we are on the frontier of things right now, we are able to 
you know, to see where it's going and also start developing some things uh, to predict and to kind of help uh, our customers to not to be as dependent uh, as they could be on all of those updates that, that Google and other uh, companies are doing with their spam filter. So. Yeah, they're, they're definitely getting better. And, and I don't think anybody is immune. You know, a lot of times we think that we have the right settings, that, that our emails are, are definitely getting through or maybe the right content. Uh, but we actually met uh, face-to-face. We, we met yeah. for the first time in Austin a few months back. And yeah. uh, you know, it was really interesting just hearing some of the stories. And you had a really interesting story about email and getting your visa just to get over here. Uh, yeah, so... Um so basically what, what happens is, um, so we, we kind of calculated, we've done some research and, you know, and, and talked to some folks. So um, basically about 50% of all the emails that are sent out there, they somehow hit spam folders, so about 50% of the emails. And those emails that you were sending, like just basically, you know, on a daily basis, right? I remember uh, there was a, a Congress hearing, uh, I think somewhere like 2017 or 2018, where those big four CEOs of Google, you know, Amazon, Facebook, um, they went out there and they, you know, talked in front of the Congress. And one of the congressmen asked Google CEO uh, about the issue that he had with his email campaign. He said that I have an email campaign that I'm sending to my voters that always was hitting the inbox. But somehow, because of the elections that happened or had been happening, my my emails uh, had been you know hitting spam folder. Why is that? So now my voters, my my family cannot receive my emails. And then the the CEO of Google he said, you know what? I don't know because we support billions of the network of billion users, so it all works automatically. So we cannot tell you why it's happening. So it already get out of hand, right? So it's just out there, right? So, um, and I had the same problems with spam, right? So the idea is that uh, because the complexity of the the filters and of the systems that we are using for emailing, uh, because they're so vast, so major and so complex, any, any single individual user cannot just, if they have some problems, they can't be fixed. You cannot talk to Google support or someone support and, hey, why my email right. is not fixed? There's no how it works. You just need to figure it out yourself. But I'm not an engineer and I don't have a technical background. So it's kind of difficult for me to figure out how the DNS works, how the blacklist works, what are the limits, how you need to set up admin console on your domain and how to set up the mailboxes and all of those things, right? So for me, it's simpler whether if I have someone like a specialist who do that, but then again, it's, it's expensive, right? So having that one source of information that we were able to achieve by aggregating the most important information, the most important how-to guides, you know, instructions, knowledge in one place and putting that in a very simple language. So every single individual that in sales or in marketing or just in business can actually understand how this works and fix it. I think this is very valuable and this is something that we were able to kind of achieve over the years, kind of building folderly, right? So it's not just about the product. It's just about the information, right? Because uh, product or information without product or product without information is nothing, right? But the way how you utilize the product, how you kind of integrate that into your workflow and how you work with the information, this is important, right? So I think that this is the, the you know, the best thing that, that you know, my team was, was able to do and I'm, that I'm kind of fascinated about. That's really fascinating. 
And it's interesting to me that I mean, even, you know, politicians are having problems getting their emails delivered or like you, you know, coming over, you know, visas from the, the government are ending up in, in the spam box. You know, if yeah. the government can't beat spam filters, what chance do just regular companies have, right? Absolutely. And it's, and we rely on email more and more, right? Because uh, what other platform you would use, right? Not an email. And, uh, you know, we're very sensitive because like we're communicating with each other, like colleagues by email. We work with our clients by email. We work with our investors, with our business partners, with our teams, uh, you know, with our vendors. Everything is, you know, by email. And we wanted to make sure that the email that we are sending is being received on the other end, right? Because if it's not, then what the hell? We had so many customers that we start working with the result of someone from the other side on the recipient end telling them that they have problem with spam and they even didn't realize that, right? So it's like you send a, a, a couple of emails to your investors, they don't answer, you give them a call and say, hey, John, what's happening? Why are you not answering my emails? Like, did you receive them? Oh, no, Michael, I didn't receive them. Like, okay, can you check for spam folder? Oh, yeah, they're in my spam folder. And it's been weeks while I'm waiting for my to raising money for my next round, for example, right? So it's it's insane, it's insane, right? Uh, so you shouldn't live in the world when someone else should tell you about the problem. You should know about the problem in advance and know how that problem can be fixed, right? Uh, like like we've done with the SEO or with like when the website is not ranking or with no open. This is just the new reality, right? And um, I'm happy that uh, my team and I we are pioneering this. But I'll be honest with you, it's been tough just because everything is new. Everything is like, you know, like a blue ocean and you just go and swim and you don't know what's happening. So you always figure out on your way. So, uh, How has AI changed that spam detection and where do you see that going? Do you, you think it's going to be a bigger factor? Um, I think that um, depending on how you utilize AI, right, um, it's definitely a game changer. However, it also depends on on how you apply that AI in in, in actual email reliability and sending reputation process. So, what I mean by that is, um, let's uh, take uh, Chat GPT as an example, which has been booming recently, right? And I've uh, I've tested Chat GPT with my team, and it writes pretty good emails. I'll be honest with you, Jeff. The emails are really good. So. If you if you um, have the if you teach the the the, the code or teach the AI um, about your value proposition and about your um, nuances of your business, it can write a pretty good damn email, right? Um, and we've tested also ChatGPT when um, when we start creating some blog posts and we've uh, compared that with some SEO tags and say, hey, can we write ChatGPT SEO tags so that they can rank? And once we start doing that and it start ranking pretty good, you know, uh, Google start releasing some updates about blocking the text had been, that has been written by the chat GPT, right? So the idea is that you shouldn't be able to rank higher if your tags are generically generated, right? So in, in this way, sort of like the Google's uh, AI is battling the chat GPT, the open AI kind of uh, area, right? So they're just kind of in the battle who's, you know, who's most, who's smarter, right? So I think that in terms of the email availability, right, um, we already are um, applying some AI uh, technologies in our uh, warm-up process uh, where um, we are able to um, 
to help our customers with their inboxes and increasing their email availability by uh, providing um, the AI-generated engagement that are sent on their behalf, and this worked really well. So uh, it's like the engagements are popping up on the inbox, automatically generated uh, with a certain logic, right? Um, but then spam filters are, um, you know, releasing some AI or uh, language processing scripts or updates that are battling that. So the idea is that um, when we're talking about the AI game, you're always going to have technology versus technology, right? And just see which technology works better and which um, wins. Um, I am happy that right now we have different camps of technology, right? Because like Google has with their script and then Microsoft investment open AI and they have that. And then, um, you know, Amazon is building their own thing. So everyone is building something and this is so cool because you are not relying only on one technology, but you really can sort of like integrate and work with different technologies opposite to the other ones that will create bottlenecks in, in your process. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. So technology versus technology and then the, the machines take over, right? Is that how that works? <laughs> You know what? I I don't know. I, I, I'm trying not to think about that. I'm just trying to live in the moment <laughs> for now and just try to leverage technology. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. You know, it's like I've uh, I've listened to this uh, one of the interviews that Lax Friedman on Lax Friedman channel. And he is an AI expert. Right. And he he mentioned this interesting thing that right now um, a lot of engineers are working and improving AI not to you know, not the, not for the AI to be better at language processing or sort of like do some other things, but they're working on building an AI that can build itself. So for the AI to improve itself, right? So that's the right. trick, right? So I think like, I don't know where it goes and how fast it can develop, right? When they reach certain points. So we'll see. Yeah, it's pretty amazing some of the advances, even in the last three or four years. You know, to think about where ChatGPT is now, and to think about you know where that was even two or three years ago, uh, where we were you know, maybe just at the the beginning of of you know speech recognition becoming mainstream. Yeah, it, it's moving so so fast. Absolutely, and uh, even take uh, as an example some of these translation technologies that exist right now. Like I think like ten you know, five years ago. You cannot translate a very accurate, uh, you know, Japanese English translation or, uh, you know, Ukrainian English or whatever. And now you just can do that. And it's pretty damn good, right? So, and it's very accurate. So imagine if we're going to have an AI assistant uh, that will be uh, installed in one of our earpods and that will be someone will be talking Japanese and then you're going to hear them talking English and they're going to be talking English and having the Japanese. That's going to be insane, right? Can you imagine the traveling and the, the, the way we're going to integrate with each other as a species and as nations, right? That's, that's going to be fascinating. So, you know, we're living in an amazing world, right? Yes. Yes. That would be, a, that would be fantastic. I would love that to have that kind of a translator. That's an idea of the startup right there, right? <laughs> have a software yes. that will be installed <laughs> Somebody in Somebody go build that. Just, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I bet they are building idea. it already. You know, I bet they are building it already because, you know, as one always say that if you think about the idea and start building the idea, probably there's five or 10 people that already are building that. So now the time is who is building, who will build that first, right? So. Right, right. 
Well, with all the technology changing and and progressing, yeah, kind of the the natural question is: email marketing dead, or is there you know still is that still a viable channel to get our message out? That's um that's an excellent question, Jeff. Um, so I am for the past. So just to give you and listeners some context, for the past six months, I am I transitioned from sales into marketing and currently working as the chief marketing officer um, at my company. And um, we I have a team of 50 people, 50 marketers uh, that are currently running uh, marketing on every imaginable channel that you might thing off, right? Starting with ads and with retargeting and with website optimization and SEO and content and social and webinars and, and, and the podcast, everything, right? We do all of that. And when I compare the cost per channel and I'm when I'm thinking about the scalability of the channel and, and the longevity of the channel, right? And consistency of delivery, there's nothing better than um, than email marketing, um, in, in, in my personal opinion, and based on the numbers that are out there, right? Because, um, with, you know, with email marketing, you heavily rely on, on your company to generate results rather than relying on other platforms to generate them on your behalf. So let me give you an example. Um, when you think about the advertising, right? Like you always spend more on ads and, and ads every time start being more and more expensive. And you can see only what Facebook or Google allows you to see in terms of the algorithm, right? Like you cannot right. kind of see that, right? Because they give you the views, the order, the, the, the views, you know, the, the conversions, the clicks, and you're like, oh, okay. They don't tell you the name of the people they're opening or, or viewing. They just tell you the, the, the cohort analysis, right? And you look at all other channels, they are the same. You rely on the platform. With email, it's a communication. So the way like you, it's like with the phone, you know the people that you're emailing, you know their faces, you know their names, and you know that if I send 10 emails and five emails open or reply to my email, this is the result that I generated. It's pretty straightforward and I can control right. it. I can control who are who I'm emailing to, what I'm emailing with, when I'm answering the email, uh, what I'm follow-uping with, uh, how many emails I send. So I can control all of that. And it doesn't cost me a cent to send my email. Can you imagine for us to pay for sending emails or for emails to be open? That's ridiculous, right? Uh, although, right. obviously, it started being more and more uh, challenging to to have a very nice campaign because of the noise and the number, the, the volume of emails that has been sent out, right? But, you know, and, until now, when I'm looking at the numbers, um, when we work with clients as the appointment setting providers, some of the clients that are very successful with the email channel, their cost per appointment acquisition is about $200, which is like, and you can get, you know, 100 appointments, 200 appointments at that cost. Some that are starting, they might be paying at the $500, right? Depending on the, uh, on the, you know, on the ideal client profile and on the product. But the point that I'm making is that this is the channel that is easy to set up. It's scalable. Uh, it's very measurable, so you can measure each stage, and it's very controllable, so you can control every part of it, and you don't rely on any external platform for this channel to be successful. And although there are some bottlenecks like spam, but you ab absolutely can overcome those challenges. But uh, the idea is that it's still a good channel, and whoever I talk to, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would agree that Every one of us receive an email that we open, that we read, that we reply every day, 
right? It's a it's a yes. daily platform, right? So and it's going to be used daily platform because you know WhatsApp. Well, I personally don't use a lot of WhatsApp for work. I mean, do you, Jeff? Do you use WhatsApp for work? I don't. Now I know companies that do, but I don't. Exactly, and there's so many folks like us that don't do that, but we all use email. So. In the next five, 10 years, we're yep, still going to be using emails, right? Until there's be a break, you know, so some, some breakthrough that will change that. But for now, email is the, you know, is the best channel. And for all marketers, I, um, um, you know, my message is that email is a great channel for some hypothesis testing. So very often people think about the email, like, hey, you know, I need to get clients, let's send cold emails. But I'm thinking about testing something first with email and then rolling that out on other channels. So if I have a messaging that I wanted to send to CEOs about a new feature, instead of running advertising and paying tens, dozens, thousands of dollars for advertising, I can have a list of 500 names, send an email with this very similar messaging, just packaged in email format, and then just see how it works, what kind of feedback I get. If the feedback is good, I tailor it, and then I do advertising with it, right? So it's a it's a quick channel, you know, quick win channel to generate uh, the insights about what works and what doesn't work and then applying that across all other channels. But absolutely, you need to have all of those channels in play because if you just rely on one channel and that's it, um, you'll be sure that there are competitors that are using other channels and, and that you don't and they will win you there, right? So That makes a lot of sense. That uh, you know, I love the the what you pointed out with being able to control the the message and and you know, one you own the audience. I think that's a, a real distinct advantage. But that you're actually getting direct feedback, and so you're not dependent on some other metrics out there, somebody else deciding you know what's a, a good indicator or not. Um, but that you're actually getting direct feedback. You're you're very close to the end user. I think that's really exactly. helpful in and being able to test out things. Exactly, exactly. And, um, and you know that you can turn on, turn off this thing yourself, right? It's not like it's not going to be automatically ranked. It's like I'm very frustrated very often with LinkedIn where I created the post that I put my time into creating and it's not ranked, right? It's not ranked. Although another post that I create is ranked much higher and it generates more views. So I heavily rely on the ranking of the platform, like with advertising with others, right? Like, and with emails, I know that that emails can be delivered only to one place, to the inbox. And I know that person will see that on the top of the inbox and open it and then get back to me if, if my offer is interesting. So, Right. Content matters. And I like that you pointed that out earlier. Just that there, there are things that we engage with all the time. So when we get something that's high value, we know it. And I think that's one of the ways that we stay out of the spam box is we deliver value. And just organically, people are, are looking at that. They're engaging with it. And so it's not just trying to game the system, but it's actually providing real value. Uh, I agree with you 100% there. I think that the, the problem that exists is that access to email marketing uh, is, is becoming very, very cheap, right? It's like... Five years ago, for you to to have a to get a good mailing list, for you to have a good messaging, a great tool, you know, it's gonna take you, you know, it's gonna cost you right to get there. But right now, it, you know, you can right. buy a list for a hundred dollars. Uh, you can have a software that is free or that costs ten bucks, and then you start emailing, right? And because of that, um, you know, people say that well, email marketing doesn't work, right? And that's not like 
poor email marketing doesn't work, right? Like the one that right. is, is not well thought, right? But if it's a good email marketing, then it works. And the good email marketing is that you have a clean list that you collect, that you you are not buying ready to use leads, right? You have the leads that you collect manually. You have someone doing that. Uh, you have a provider. Uh, you have someone inside your team that do that for you. But you have a list of 100 names, 200 names. You know everyone by name. You know that these are great clients. They all match my ideal client profile. You tailor messaging specifically for them, for that industry or for that title. You speak to the value that you can bring to them. You speak to their problem. You speak about your experience, right? And you do it genuinely, right? You don't, uh, you know, you, you don't just do a bulk, right? You you know that uh, it's a it's a, it's a well thought email, well thought messaging, well thought value proposition. You know the people. You email them, uh, and they get back to you, right? And they will appreciate uh, the genuine, uh, how genuine you are. With, with messaging and they would appreciate that you're targeted, that you're emailing with the exact offer. You know what and who you're selling. You're not just fishing, right? And doing the blasting, right? You're like doing a, a drip or you're doing a targeted outreach and you get, you get results, right? So I think that, um, again, you know, it's always going to be appreciated a, a, a well thought approach, right? Whatever you do, right? Either it's in content marketing or video or email, right? It's just, the matter of how much time and efforts you spent into building that and doing that. Are there specific things in our content that we should avoid or things that we should have in there um, to add value or to get opens or to avoid the spam filters? Uh, right. So um, with regards to um, if we talk content, right, um, with regards to content, a uh, few things matters. Subject line matters and uh actual email copy matters. For the subject line, um, for spam filters, it's very important that you are not misleading. So you shouldn't be misleading. So the, uh, the, the, the content of an email should match the subject line. Uh, so if you're talking about something you don't, you, you know, it, it shouldn't be mismatching, right? It's very important, right? The subject line should be short um, and subject line shouldn't include some, you know, words that would, um, identify that are identified as suspicious or phishing, like you know, like free or um, invest or something that is like that people or scammers are are using to to get your contact information, right? Like some some very strong um, words that indicate that someone wants to get your money, right? You don't kind of put that in the subject line, even though. Sometimes, you know, you can put an offer or job offer or engagement offer, right? And you, maybe you can specify something, right? Uh, but you don't do a, an offer for a million dollars, right? You kind of don't do that. So, uh, and then in terms of the email body, right? Um, don't use spam words. Um, there are some open data sources as well as on the Folderly website. There is a list of uh, all uh, most popular spam words. It's updated constantly. So I'm not saying that you should be using any spam word in your emails, that's not it. It's just you start, you, you, you need to start av- avoiding as, as many spam words as you can because you cannot eliminate all of them, uh, right? Uh, because uh, as I said, like an offer can be a spam and you send an offer to a client, so you cannot remove that word. You cannot rephrase, right? But um, you'll be surprised uh, when, we, we, when we are doing the content analytics for our clients, uh, on average, a, a, an email contains between 20 to 35 spam words, every email that we send, right? 
Uh, wow. So yeah, a lot, a lot. So if you can cut it down to at least five spam words, that's that's going to do a much better job, right? Um, and then you know when we talk about um, actual email copy and when we talk about personalization, uh, I always say that one should need to be original. So by original, I I don't mean just uh, putting one or two variable like your first name and your company name, but trying to be more original and doing some additional personalization, like referencing something or um, you know like pointing out something. Like like I would reach out and say, hey Jeff. You know, uh, I met with you in uh, in Austin back in August. We had a great discussion. Uh, I wanted to be a part of your podcast. Uh, would love to speak about your audience, about followability, something like that, right? Whereas, like, you kind of add some personalization, some some touch points in, in a way when you meet people, when you saw someone, when you read, when you listen to someone. You just kind of because um, you know the the context matter, right? So right now we are living in the context world. So the context, the reasoning behind it, why you're reaching out matters right now. So by putting the context um, would would help the, the email copy to stand out, to be opened, and it's also going to help uh, the spam filters. Uh, one other thing that I think that your listeners should know is um, every type of email outreach have a certain process. So either it's a newsletter or email marketing or cold outreach. There should be best practices that needs to be included. And I speak a lot about this on my webinars. Um, it's like when you send an email, like a, like, let me give an example. Like when you have an, uh, an email list of a hundred people that you didn't email before, the way you do it is you first going to email them the plain text, something to understand that, okay, is this relevant for you guys? Can I continue building relationship with you? Is this good, right? You don't send them the HTML email with your offer or with updates or the newsletter. You don't, right? And there are some tools for that. Because I saw very often you just get the list, you add the list in your MailChimp and you start sending out some newsletter emails and you don't do that, right? So it should be a different approach. But at the same time, when you have the people that sign up for your list and then you're sending them the newsletter by MailChimp, what the hell? You can do that, right? So this is just the, the nuances that you need to know to be better at, at what you're doing, right? But the idea is that you should always know or you should know, always pay attention to what kind of e- email you're sending, to whom you're sending, and what is the content that you're sending to them and what type of it. And depending on that, you need to package your email marketing in a totally different way than w- with email marketing or with called outreach. Uh, that's absolute gold. And, and I think you're right. We focus so much a lot of times on content that we miss out on context. And it's that uh, an, an episode a little while back. Um, uh, Neil actually talked about that. It's that one letter change, content to context, uh, because that really matters. And it can, it can really change the, the messaging and, uh, and provide value or, or not. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really important tip. And I also think just to add on this, then, uh, we should be speaking about the engagement or speaking about the client and not speaking about ourselves, right? So very often I receive emails about this is who we are. You know, this is why we're good. This is why we're the best. You know, this is what we do, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't talk about me or about my problems or right. why we need to engage, right? So I think that this is very important. So kind of giving context, not like why I reached out, but also like, what do we, what can we do together? Like why, why is there a value in, in the conversation, right? 
That's really, really important. And I think that's a, a great marketing tip overall is really focusing on the, the client and their problem, not about us. When we start and lead that way, you know, here's who I am. We've done this for this long and we're awesome. Why do they care? There's no context. There's, there's, you know, it's, it needs to be about them. And once you, they realize that you have a, a solution that they need, now maybe they care. Maybe they probably still more care more about their problem, but uh, a yeah. whole lot more about, uh, they're a whole lot more interested than they were in the beginning of just hearing your backstory because they just don't care. They, they've got yeah. their own things that they want to deal with until they know you can help them. 100%. 100%. And I also, um, you know, I, I love to start with highlighting the problem uh, that, that either I was told about or that I know exists or about the opportunity that people have. It's like, uh, you know, the best email that, um, and I'm going to share that, the best opening that we have over the years and we cannot beat that opening is, um, are you ready to take new clients? Do we have capacity for new clients? Right? Like, it's right. like, yeah, absolutely. So, do we have capacity for new clients? If we can get you 10 clients every month, would you be interested in exploring this opportunity? Right? It's like, absolutely. Like, who doesn't need that more clients? Uh, like, how would you get right? That, right? The conversation started, right? Uh, it's like, but if I start the email with, like, hey, I'm with this company, I saw you guys are growing, and I was wondering if you guys wanted to get some additional leads in, and put that in your growth, right? Et cetera, et cetera. It's not as uh, you know sexy opening as the one that is like, "Hey, do you have capacity for new clients?" Right? So it's like, right. yeah, let's talk. Yeah, that comes from Dean Jackson, who's one of the smartest marketers I think on the planet. Uh, certainly, one of the smartest marketers I know, and it was his original nine-word email: "Are you looking for new clients?" So just absolutely I brilliant. I didn't know. Yes. That. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> There you go. And we'll, we'll actually, we'll link Dean in the, the show notes as well. He's got a great podcast um, as well, but a super, super smart marketing guy. How do you think marketing has changed since you started Folderly, uh, particularly on the email side? Um, I think that um, people care more about um, what emails they open, what emails they read, right? So the, the messaging should be carefully crafted. Um, uh, the as the the email channel had been progressing right like um uh, new titles had been popping up and uh there are more email marketing specialists there are more uh you know different roles in sales enablement uh teams and uh in business development that are um uh, that are specializing on 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 email marketing and they they know their drills so they know the tools they know the approaches so they uh, create more elaborative campaign, uh, more comprehensive campaigns, right? With with more juice in them. So that changed a lot. Um, I think overall, um, it just uh, you know, I think that it's uh, it's interesting because I feel like uh, we're at a kind of circle that uh, you know started uh, with an automation, and for us to get more and more automation and and scalability. And now we wanted to have more personalization, one one to one conversation, uh, more you know personalized emails, personalized touch, etc. And I feel that we wanted to have less automation and and and, and more human to human interactions with actual people, right? Although we do want bots, but I feel like um, you know a few years ago, I remember the AI assistant had been very popular, like someone that will be replying to my emails or archiving them or something. 
and now they are not right. as popular as they be, right? Because we wanted to ha- to make sure that there is someone, um, someone that I can interact with, someone that I can build relationship with. I think this is important. So I think that the email marketing goes through a certain circle. So what's been uh, what's been old now it's new again, and you just go circle, and then you just go circle, right? So I think that we're at the point where uh, we wanted to be empowered by technology, um, but people value the the personalization and the uh, and the relationship, and that's why uh, people that still think with their head about their next steps and 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 have a very thoughtful approach, and not just set up automation and, and do everything quickly and just and just to scale. I think they 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 gonna kind of succeed in the in you know in the marketing game. So. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you're exactly right. It's that personalization. And the most important thing we can remember in marketing is there is another person on the other end. It's not a prospect. It's not you know, a group of people. There's a, a person. And that's what we want to do is to reach out and have a, a conversation. And that's kind of the, the point of the, the email. It should be is to, to engage in a dialogue. And it, that goes two ways. It's not just one way. Hey, we're awesome by yeah. our stuff. But it's a, it's really starting that dialogue, starting the communication with the real person. Absolutely, and just to add on this point, um, I think something that is changing a lot is um, there always was a certain gap between sales, marketing, and uh, and accounts, uh, right? And in terms of like the the way they operated, like usually sales are going after new clients, generating clients, closing revenue. Marketing are thinking about uh, you know like the the, uh, the overall strategy about the messaging. They are not very aligned with sales sometimes, right? Sales is doing their own way, you know, marketing is doing way, and then account and client team is doing something else, right? And they are all are not combined. So I feel like we're at the point where marketing start being um, uh, we call it like intent marketing, where everything that you see about the company is built around a certain audience and the value that audience can can you know the value that this audience can take from you whatever you do like whether browsing through the website or watching your content or scrolling your blog or signing up on your, on on your social whatever right they they should see the value that they can get from the conversation with you right like and not just ge- the generic information that the marketing promote produces or that sales is doing for for the purposes of generated clients, right? Like really. And when I was thinking about this, I, I started like really revisiting everything that we were doing in terms of the messaging on the website, in terms of um, how we approach content, how we approach outreach in general. And I feel that uh, right now, when you, to give an example, let's say you created the blog post and you know that this is the hot topic that uh, people would want to read. Uh, but, you know, but you don't actually focus on your, you know, ideal clients or the people that you wanted to actually get the attention, right? So what's happening is that the content is created by a marketer who doesn't know your audience um, about the topic that they don't know about because they are not in the product, because they're in the marketing. They do like a repurposing of the content, right? So at the end, your clients uh, or the audience that are, that are not your clients are receiving the the secondary content that is not near what your client team could produce, right? So because there's no intent, no IP, no value that you own, there's something that you, this is yours, right? So when I, when we start 
rethinking this was like, oh, wow, is this the, is this what we've been doing so far? Oh, wow. What, what if we're going to input more us, more our original thoughts, maybe less content, less volume, less, but really like what is like the originality to, to, you know, and, uh, and it worked like magic. So I think that, uh, you know, I think that there's so much content out there, so much outsourcing, so much automation, so much just different roles, like scaling marketing, scaling sales, and they all are just scaling, but not collaborating together. Then I think that we're going to go back to that, to the old days where like there is some, there are people, um, that are like integrators that are integrating all of those departments and that they are controlling the narrative and they are like, Hey, this is not who we are. This is what we need to do. And this is what the IP and this is what, what genuinely the, the core of what we're doing and why we care and how we can use that to educate our clients and, and, and grow with them together. Right. That's great. I think you're exactly right. Where can people learn more about you and about Folderly online? Oh, um, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so you can follow me on LinkedIn at Michael Maximov, or uh, you can go to Folderly.com um, website, um, or you can just go to our YouTube. Um, so we've been doing a bunch of things. So um, we are very active on YouTube. We do a lot of webinars really good webinars every month with uh, great content. uh, Yeah. Great content. Um, we have our own community. It's called Balkan sales and marketing community. We already have 1100 members there and we're growing. Uh, we started the community last year. We already had 1100 members and we're, we, we're we're hopefully going to hit 10,000 people this year until the end of the year. We're planning on that. We're, we're having some really great M and a sessions and great conversations there as well. And, um, yeah, and we just generally, you know, creating a lot of stuff on balkins.io, folder.com. So just check it out. I'm, I'm sure you guys, if you're interested in growth, marketing and, and, um, and appointment setting, email drivability, uh, we're your guys and you will learn a ton of new things with us. Fantastic. We'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes. Michael, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. It's great to see you. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. And, uh, thanks for listening to this. I hope you guys have some value, guys. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks again, Michael, for coming on the show and sharing your SaaS journey, market intelligence, and deliverability strategies. Super, super valuable. As always, all links, highlights, resources, full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. If you learned something from the show, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or review as well. It's always encouraging to me and the team and helps other people know that the show exists. So everyone who subscribes this week gets a custom one-of-a-kind air guitar. You'll sound great playing it, and I'm betting you'll look pretty good playing that thing too. Join us Thursday on our Sound Fuel Expert Series where I talk with a founder who is shaking up the advertising world with his solution. Sam Maligarjanan, a CEO and co-founder of OneScreen.ai, the marketplace provider for buying and selling out-of-home advertising. This will absolutely blow you away. It is science fiction meets our real world. And then next Tuesday, our guest is Brandon Metcalf, multi-time SaaS founder at Multiple Exits and currently CEO of Place Technology. We'll see you next time. Make sure to invest in yourself. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. 
Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.